What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew. So glad to have you guys here with me today for another great episode chatting with cool creatives in the D&D tabletop gaming community. Let's give a quick shout out here at the top of the episode to one of my awesome sponsors, AwesomeDice.com, where you can go to get, you guessed it, Awesome Dice. Make sure you go check them out for all of your polyhedral needs. You can use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout. You save 10%. You support the show. It's very cool, and you get very cool dice. AwesomeDice.com. Big fans of them. They're big fans of the show. That works out pretty well. As always, you can subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. And if you are an Apple user, if you know an Apple user, if you go to an Apple store, you can leave a review on an Apple device on Apple Podcasts. So please make sure that you do that. We always love your feedback. Helps more people find the show. Podchaser.com is also a great place to leave that feedback. So please make sure to check us out there. And now let's go ahead and jump right into it with this week's guest. Very excited to chat with him. Came about pretty quickly, and and I, I mentioned on Twitter that I wanted to get the uh, the Triforce of role-playing Jameses. So very excited to have James D'Amato here today. What's going on, man? Hello, heroes. Uh, I'm having a pretty good quarantine of it. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 uh, you know, let's be fair. There are some people that are not, but I'm going to be honest. I've, you know, especially as a podcaster who needs people at home and available to interview. It's been a bit of a boon for me. People are suddenly very, uh, very available. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, I will, well, I will say what I mean by pretty good of a quarantine. Uh, I mean, as that can go, it's going about as well as it can. Um, but yeah, uh, I have actually ended up having to do a lot more work, uh, than usual just because there are more people who are available, uh, who, you know, finally have time to do things that, that we didn't have time for earlier. Sure. Um, and also there, there are more of my friends who don't have work. So I have to try and figure out how I can make some work for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, it's kind of funny that you say that the actually being busier because, um, because you're right. I think me just recording episodes, I, I would try and average interviewing one guest a week. And lately I've had so many people come and say, Hey, you know what? I'm actually available now. It's been like two or three or however many. So it is certainly, uh, blown up, especially for those, those of us who work from home already, we suddenly have more tasks <laughs> on our plate to try and knock out. Yeah, it would be probably pretty different if I was still in an office working environment, but I've been working from home for years now. So uh, this is just transition to everyone else is also working from home. Uh, So I I am definitely on dial for more people. Yeah, I've I've worked my uh, my full time job from home for a couple of years now, and uh, I said it's been kind of funny to see my coworkers discover that I don't actually sit around and play video games uh, all day. So it's kind of been a, a bit of an interesting <laughs> the work does still yeah, get done. Yeah, it does still get done and, and it can be harder working from home. So real quick for people who might not know who you are, uh, who are you? What do you do? What, what is, what is you in a nutshell? Uh, so I am James D'Amato. I am the uh, founder and president of the one shot podcast network. Uh, that is based around, uh, our cornerstone shows one shot, uh, which I host where we play, uh, as many different role-playing games as possible. It's an actual play program where uh, we record in like three to four hours, which comes out to be one hour long episodes, like new role-playing systems, and we put them out as a weekly show. So about every month we have a new role-playing game with a new cast of players queued up. Uh, 
We just wrapped up Casketland, uh, which we did with my friends Tyler Davis and Addison Peacock and Matt Mercer, um, which is a little powered by the apocalypse weird Western system. Uh, it's really, really great, kind of grungy and uh, like very the, the book itself is what drives a lot of uh, the, the world because they don't really tell you much of the setting, but they provide you with these really cool uh, pen and ink pictures uh, that you sort of look at and you use that to fill in what the setting might mean to you. Um, So it's like this very kind of like punk rock aesthetic to it. It's a really rad system. Um, And right now we're putting up a game called Visigoths versus Malgoths, which is about uh, the people that conquered Rome, the Visigoths, time travel to LA in the 1990s and sort of just take up residence there and they have turf wars with uh mall goth teens uh (laughs) over who controls the mall right it's really like it's it's very strange but it's kind of slice of life and like a little romance oriented it's it's a weird and sweet game um that feels like i don't know the most bizarre 90s cartoon that never existed um that's the kind of that's the kind of writer's room i'd love to be in like the the coming up with the concept for that setting like okay okay visgoth what if they time traveled sure where should they go to i don't know how about la oh you mean like in the in the 50s or like you know the movie no no what about the 90s like what if we threw them there in the 90s who were they fighting with Malgoths. okay yeah it, it, it it's a, a very wild concept that lucian khan put together and like a setting that he really like infused with a lot of love. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was a fun game to play, but yeah, well, what we try and do over one shot is just try as many different games as possible. Uh, a lot of the episodes that we do are comedic, but there are some that are dramatic or, or, or more horror and oriented or romance oriented. Um, we just try and figure out, you know, what, exists in the wide world of possibilities and yeah. uh, tabletop role-playing like most people are very familiar with fantasy adventure role-playing uh, sure. thanks to a dungeons and dragons but there are thousands if not tens of thousands of games out there uh and we're just trying to show off as many as we can uh, our other flagship show is campaign uh which is unlike one shot an ongoing story um uh, that is using one system right now we are using fantasy flights uh genesis system uh and we are using that to play a game called skyjacks which is an original setting that we devised based on the music of the decemberists and the board game illimat that was designed by okay. keith baker um so we call it a folktale punk setting. Um, it's an anti-colonial, anti-capitalist story about sky pirates. Um, and we're having a ton of fun with that. Um, but really the one-shot network generally, uh, we try to show off a lot of different corners of the tabletop world. And some of them maybe that aren't getting as much attention as some of the big ones like, you know, the, what you see in D&D. A lot of what we focus on is indie stuff Um, and the voices of, you know, uh, queer and marginalized creators sort of making themselves known in the space. Like our show Asians Represent is dedicated very specifically to looking at the impact Asian creators have had on tabletop and sort of 
looking at how um, maybe sometimes tabletop has misstepped in appropriating Asian themes throughout the years and sort of examining how what we did there and, and how it could have been done better. Yeah. Um, and then I also uh, write a series of books called the Ultimate RPG Guides. Uh, those are the first one was a big book of different exercises to help you kickstart character creation, basically give you some external ideas and a lot of different methods and ways uh, for you to break down the process of creating a character and different elements for their backstory. Um, and the next one was called the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide, which is kind of a style guide based on my experience. I, I have been professionally running tabletop games for now uh, almost seven years. Um, and I just sort of took what I learned from, you know, actual play programs and whatnot. And I tried to distill that into a methodology of like, here's how I approach games. And my hope is that, you know, people read a book like that and either agree with me and learn some new fun techniques or disagree with me and better identify what uh, they like and what they need out of running a game. Um, so, uh, well, that's running or, you know, uh, being in a PC role. Um, yeah. but yeah, the, the, those are the books that I write. I've got a new book coming out called the ultimate, R uh, the ultimate micro RPG book. And that is an anthology of 40 different, uh, two page role-playing games, uh, oh, that, okay. uh, has just a collection of some of the most talented designers who are working today, uh, under one roof. So if you are curious about games, uh, but like, don't want to pick up a 300 page rule book, uh, to right. learn them. Uh, this book has dozens of different genres, uh, lots of different approaches, uh, different levels of complexity that you can just sort of pick up and, and try out new games and new ideas. That's really great for people who love to, you know, have a, have a game night, um, where you just have your friends come over and then you open up the closet and say, let's pick something. Um, it's cool to have like a book there and be like, Hey, let's, uh, let's run an RPG. We're just going to play for a couple hours. <sighs> okay. We're going to play lasers and feelings. Cool. Let's go. Like, like that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, we, we sort of wanted the idea that like people would be able to pull out this book if they were running, uh, a regular like D and D game or something, but not everybody showed up that week. You could pull the book out and find something that is appropriate for the number of players that you have right away, or, you know, something that would maybe allow you to play more than one game in a session to go, Oh, this is a really quick one. This is a really quick one. Let's throw those yeah. together. Uh, I kind of, I've spent the last several years discovering different games and different gaming systems. And I kind of wanted to give people a distilled version of that, give them the ability to, hop between different games and genres, uh, learn about the talents of different designers really quickly and easily. Yeah. And, and when did you say that book will be coming out? Uh, that's going to be coming out in November, though it is available for pre-order right now uh, wherever you find your RPG books. Uh, you can head to bit.ly slash ultimate micro RPG. That'll bring you to the Simon & Schuster website and you'll be able to pre-order from, you know, whatever brick and mortar retailer you like or whatever online retailer you like. Well, that, yeah, that book sounds awesome. And that sounds for me personally, as a person who likes to play different things, but sometimes has trouble knowing where to go and find cool things. And so I end up on Reddit going, what is a cool game that fits a uh, very specific criteria and then not finding anything. And then we just play D and D. 
um, that's exciting to me as a, as a player to, to kind of have that uh, resource coming up. So that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, for a while, the indie community in, in tabletop games has really kind of very heavily depended on people being extremely online to know right. what the different trends and things are. Like I, I do see threads of people like calling out like, the McElroy's or, or, or Matt Mercer or, you know, like the, the general critical role gang for like, well, why aren't you playing more different games? Uh, and I, I think especially when you're deep in it, it's hard to realize that not everybody has that kind of community awareness. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that goes for players who are outside too, who don't just have big platforms and, and are hosting big tabletop shows. Um, not everybody knows that these cool games are out there and there aren't good news sources that are focusing on that. So you either have to have the right friends, which is yeah. impossible to do, or sure. listen to my show, which not enough people do. <laughs> um, so like having different resources, different methodologies yeah. for people to find these cool games is, I think, a big step towards helping people discover like the breadth of what is possible in tabletop role-playing games. That's awesome. Well, let, let's roll it back then a little bit. How did you initially get involved in tabletop gaming? Um, and then not just as a player or a consumer, when did you decide that you wanted to really focus on this either as a career or a very aggressive hobby, if you will? Okay. Um, I'll try to give you the short version because I have told this story many times on many different programs, but I went to college that had uh, called Allegheny uh, and there was a nerd club on campus that was uh, very focused on role playing games called Argo. And I showed up like the first day where they had club signups and I was like, ha ha, I'm not doing that nerd stuff. And I walked right by that table. But like a couple weeks into the first semester, uh, there was someone who I had a big crush on who was in one of the introductory D&D games. And my buddy was in that game. So I asked him if he would drop so that I could get into the game and get to know that person. Yeah. And uh, he did. And I started playing the game and I fell in love with the game. Uh, and so that's club like thankfully had a lot of diversity in terms of the games that we played. Uh, there was a big D and D contingent and I cut my teeth playing D and D 3.5. Uh, but there were people who brought, you know, other games to the table. Uh, I won't necessarily say smaller games. Cause like the other games they were bringing to table were like, uh, you know, shadow run or, sure. or vampire or, uh, uh, my favorite feng shui. Um, so like I, I got a couple different role-playing experiences under my belt before I, I went out into the world um, and my main career focus was comedy. Um, so I was going through Second City and IO, which are improvisational like uh, acting schools um, in, that are in Chicago. And while I was there, uh, one of my buddies in our conservatory class for Second City had said, hey, I want, I've been listening to this show called Improv for Humans, which is just a podcast where they did improv. And we listened to it. We thought it was great. We started a podcast together and we got picked up by a small network in Chicago called Peaches and Hot Sauce. And about a year into doing shows on Peaches and Hot Sauce, 
The head of that network came to me and said he was listening to another show that happened to be on the Earwolf network called Nerd Nerd Poker with Brian Posen and -hmm. was like, hey, I know you've said that you do role-playing games. Could you develop a show like this for our network? Um, And I sort of took stock of what was out there and I saw a ton of D&D and a ton of Pathfinder. Specifically, there were no less than 10 shows, both podcasts and uh, video streams, yeah. that were going through uh, the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign for Pathfinder. And I was like, okay, you know, this is good in its way. Like, mm-hmm. there are different ways to play this game. And I'm sure it's interesting to get different angles on rise of the rune Lords, but there are so many other games out there. So the concept for one shot was just sort of drawn out of like, I have all of these games that I truly love and I have not seen any of them addressed by these actual play shows. So I came up with uh, a nightmare format that would require me to read about at least one new RPG manual every month uh, and just put that up, uh, and people responded really well to it. And it got to the point where my other podcasts and the live shows that I was doing definitely got hugely eclipsed by the audience that I was getting from one shot. So I focused on that, uh, more fully. And then within a couple of years, we were the biggest show on our network and, uh, we sort of branched off and founded our own network, uh, that was dedicated exclusively to games and RPG related content. So a bit of a whirlwind, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I say it like it's a whirlwind, but uh, you know, that was a journey of at least three years to us Mm -hmm. branching off into our own network. And then uh, at the three year mark, we also, I think at the three year mark, we, we launched our Patreon. Um, and shortly after that, like our Patreon did much better than, than we had anticipated. Um, and at first we were just trying to keep the show on the air because right. the hosting costs that we were getting were astronomical at the time. Uh, it was before there were podcast services when I started podcasting. Uh, so we used to pay by the amount of people that downloaded our show. Yeah. And when you're hosting a show that gets a couple hundred downloads, that's nothing. When you're hosting a show that gets a couple thousand downloads, we were paying like around $700 a month for hosting. Holy cow. So yeah, <laughs> like I say that to podcasters now. Right. They're it's like, oh, you can go anywhere and pay 15 bucks a month for like unlimited and it's all AWS and you're fine. But yeah, exactly. that, that must have been so intense. We, yeah. Thankfully, uh, like our, our patrons saved us uh, and we were able to switch over to a service that was actually intended for podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we stopped paying so much money and then we, it just kept growing. Uh, and it grew to the point that I was actually able to step away from, uh, my day job and start doing podcasts and game stuff full time. What was that moment like when you decided to step away from the day job? Uh, was there, was there fear involved or had it kind of been growing in your mind for a while and it was really just kind of a natural step? I'm I'm going to say both. Uh, there was definitely a fear, fear involved in like kind of a leap of faith that I was taking, but I was also gradually phasing out my day job through, yeah. throughout all that time. Like I started, uh, when the Patreon started being 
super, super successful. Uh, I backed down to a four day a week work week where I would have at least one day a week to focus on all of my one shot stuff. It still ate up all of my evenings and my weekends. Uh, but I, you know, I no longer had to get off a long shift at work and go home and edit an episode. I had mm -hmm. my Thursdays where I was able to do that every time I wanted to make, give myself a three day weekend. Um, but, uh, my day job couldn't let me go on Fridays because they were like such a big, important day for, for the company. So I had to start yeah. with Thursdays. Um, and slowly I whittled things down until I was working two days a week at my day job, which I, I worked at a really stellar company and even working two days a week, they allowed me to have health insurance. So the jump for me was not like a, a huge financial cliff that I was worried about because I was getting enough money from the network that I didn't need to be worried about whether or not I could pay rent or, or buy food. Um, but I didn't have access to any kind of health insurance. Yeah. So I needed to be able to pay for that privately. Um, so it was a big thing of like, okay, if I'm going to leave this, like suddenly everything is riding on this. Um, and I sort of looked at the numbers and was like, okay, to really live, I, I have been sort of scraping by, but to to really like not have to be on a financial cliff all the time, I need the wages that I make from one shot plus $10,000 every year. Um, so we ran a Kickstarter campaign for the Dungeon Dome, which was our combination of Dungeons and Dragons and professional wrestling, um, which was like kind of a PVP campaign where these over-the-top gladiators would fight in matches and cut promos against each other and whatnot. I was like, yeah. if I can get the dungeon dome to pay me $10,000, then I will be able to take that nest egg of money and sort of figure out how I am going to grow the network or what have you to be able to replace that moving forward. And the dungeon dome was successful and Shortly thereafter, uh, I managed to land a book deal, um, and that has supplied me the auxiliary money that I still need. Like, I still don't get a huge uh, paycheck from the network. Uh, One shot probably provides me about eighteen thousand dollars pre taxes every year, um, mm -hmm. and I have to sort of scrape together the rest of everything through odd jobs and whatnot. Right. Um, but it, it has been an interesting transition and, and definitely very scary. Like if I didn't have the insurance of the money that I got from the Dungeon Dome, I, I don't know that I would have been able to make myself give up that health insurance, uh, which, you know, like it was important to get those two days a week because like right now I, I still have more than a full day job's worth of work uh, at one shot. I needed those two days. But, uh, the, the fact that the money would be there to support me was not immediately apparent. So, uh, it was definitely very scary. Um, and I'd advise people that are sort of like looking at like, okay, uh, am I going to leave my day job? How do I make this leap? Like if you can phase down first and really take a look at your budget and 
know what your needs are before you jump in head first. I, I, I think you'll be fine, but you do like, I definitely did need to make that jump and I, I probably put it off longer than I should have. Um, but no matter what, like I, I still am here and very grateful to be here. Kind of what I'm hearing from you in, in all the different steps that you've talked about is, is definitely what sounds like to me a very kind of entrepreneurial mindset, right? Because I, my thing that I've noticed, I think, in the community is that there are, there are loads of creative people out there, right, um, mm-hmm. who have great ideas and, and they've got great content and, and a great desire to share that. But there, I would say, um, and this is not meant to be, you know, not being generous to, to people out there trying to, you know, grind to make their thing happen. There are not as many people amongst that group who have a real entrepreneurial mindset who, who approach things like, okay, so what do I need to do to get from point A to point B? There's a lot of, I want to make something cool. Let me throw something cool out into the world. Why aren't people responding to it? So my question for you is, uh, one, do, do you consider that true about yourself? But two, what were kind of some of the intentional moments or steps that you took where you were like you mentioned like okay i'm going to start a show that is in a niche that no one has touched yet necessarily that's a bit different from everything out there um do do you think you just came by that naturally or are you just naturally kind of that minded person or was it a very kind of intentional developing of that mindset uh so i i mean in a sense uh i i wasn't not trying to make a successful show, you know, like I, I was trying to sort of read the market and, and see how we could mm-hmm. stand out as a, a program. And, and, and like when we added new shows to our network, we were always trying to fill niches, but like a lot of it was really just driven by passion. Like I, when I call one shot, a nightmare show concept, like I mean it, it, it is a lot more work than just doing campaign, which is just about as successful as one shot is, um, because I have to do that research. I have to read those books. Um, there are people like, like there, there are people who are watching a show like one shot and wanting us to make the right moves and feature, uh, creators who aren't getting their fair shake at the spotlight too. So it's more than just, I get to feature the shows that I want or the games that I want to feature. It's, I have to like really be out there and connect with people and research like what new and interesting concepts are out there. And I like doing that, but it is a lot of work and takes a lot of time. Uh, so like when you cut, cut down to like the entrepreneurial spirit or, or what have you, the, the business sense that we're approaching things with, a lot of that is out of a want to exist and survive and, and not so much, uh, aha, yes, I found the clever way to make money because sure. if you're looking at the clever way to make money, RPG podcasting is probably <laughs> not the, the, the pant right. leg that you should be rolling down on that one. Uh, so like it, it is mostly, I love these games and I, I truly, truly deeply love role-playing. It is my preferred form of creative expression. Um, and I want to share that with the world. Uh, there are games that I think are brilliant and I I think they are underappreciated and I want people to know about them. Uh, When I first played Dungeons and Dragons, it really opened my eyes to 
all of these wonderful things in this hobby that I had been missing for so long. And then when I played feng shui, like two years later, I realized how much better it was for me than Dungeons and Dragons. It like feng shui for those who have never played it. It is an action movie, Kung Fu movie role-playing game. And the rules in it are actually designed to help players make interesting choices at the table. One of my favorite uh, like abilities in that game is based on Jackie Chan, where you your character gets a plus one if they use an improvised weapon, but they only get that bonus the first time they use that improvised weapon. So as a player, you're in the position of like, okay, I've got to figure out what's in my environment and what's around me so I can creatively come up with new ways to get that plus one bonus. And it led to such interesting and and fun play at the table. Like it really opened my eyes to, oh, these games not only provide us with a resolution format for, you know, telling these adventuring stories or whatever, their mechanics can actually be designed to help nudge us players in the direction of having more fun and creative ideas at the table. Uh, So, you know, now, like starting one shot, I knew those possibilities were out there and I just wanted to be able to connect people with those possibilities so they could feel that revelation and that excitement that I felt when I first got those. Um, and the business side of it has has really been about supporting that. And I think a lot of the work that you see being done in the tabletop field is really driven by people feeling excited about these games, wanting to share a part of their perspective or or a bit of their excitement with uh, the rest of the world around them. So to them, the the dollars and cents and and whether or not it is, you know, individualistic or like super unique and, and different doesn't matter because what they want to do is express themselves. Uh, so I, I think there are a fair amount of people who simply don't need uh, that that business sense behind it. Uh, for for us at one shot, like it definitely became the thing where the things that we wanted to create really eclipsed what we would be able to do in our free time. And you know, I, I'd sort of have to take a look. Like my day job career certainly wasn't going anywhere. So if this thing that I was investing like all my heart and passion into wasn't going to somehow take care of me five or yeah. 10 years, 20 years, hopefully down the line, then it wasn't a good idea for me to keep focusing on that. So I needed to craft it into something that I could sell like uh, with the Skyjacks campaign that we created uh, recently, like that was to replace our Star Wars campaign over on the campaign podcast, which was wildly popular and one of the tent poles of the network. And we knew that if we screwed up making that new show, then a lot of us wouldn't have jobs anymore, or at least. I certainly wouldn't have a job anymore and the supplementary income that that my friends were making through that show wouldn't exist. So we needed to both make something that we loved and we were proud of, but also make something that would connect with people and, and did something different than the other shows that were out there 
so that we could stand out. That's great. I mean, and, and I think that's what I'm talking about, the, the intentionality behind decision-making that can both pursue your passion and make sure that, that you and the people that you work with are provided for, and that you're doing things in a way that sets them up for success, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, intention is something that I have tangled up with role-playing a lot. Like in the ultimate RPG gameplay guide, I, I talk about the process that I see of honing your craft as either a game master or player is starting to approach the game with intention. Knowing why you are making the choices that you are making allows you to review what you're doing and, you know, make sure that the, the things that you are doing at the table are actually things that you want to do or you're trying to provoke uh, specific reactions or do something like if you're in a game and you've got a very tactical like sort of combat feel to things like if you're trying to really take uh the competitive aspect of the combat uh, of the combat really seriously when you are a wizard and you're casting a spell you really gotta know what spell you're casting and why sure. you're casting it how it's going to help you if you just you know, pick something randomly and do something just because, and you're thinking without that tactical mind, then you're probably doing more to hurt your party than help it. Uh, it's the same kind of feeling in a role-playing sense. Not, not that you're hurting people by not, uh, you know, thinking about what decisions you're making or, or approaching the game with intention, uh, but more that, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, uh, then you won't know how to do it better the next time. And and better is a really weird concept when we bring it into uh, the idea of role-playing because I, I truly believe that role-playing in any form is artistic expression, yeah. um, which means it's entirely subjective. And if you just want to be at the table to you know, make silly choices and whatever and have fun, then that is what the game should be for you. But if you are somebody who really gets a lot of joy out of approaching the storytelling in tabletop games uh, as an artistic pursuit, then learning how to break down the different things you do at the table with intention uh, will help you hone your craft, make you a a more effective player in, in doing the things that you want to do. If, if you're a GM of a horror campaign that that can mean making your player, making your players feel a little bit more creeped out or, or spooked at the table. Um, if you're telling like an ongoing fantasy epic, it can be getting people to emotionally invest in the story that you're, you're doing. If you're a player, you know, it can simply just be your performances how well am I conveying uh, my sense of character? How well is my character uh, contributing interesting facets to the story that we're all telling together? Um, all of that really blossoms when you approach it with intention and really think about and know why you're doing what you're doing. You mentioned earlier that you have a background in improv, specifically in Chicago, which has a great improv scene. Lots of just really awesome talents have come out of there. It might be an obvious question, but but how has your improv background kind of influenced 
what you're doing with one shot. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people talk about being good at improv helps you with the role play aspects at the table, but have there been other ways that that kind of experience has, has fed into what you're doing now? Uh, so what, what I will say, uh, for those who aren't familiar with improv, but are familiar with role playing games, uh, improv is just role playing. That is the, the technique that is the craft that, that we are honing. That is the art form that we are working on. Um, because you are trying to spontaneously, uh, create a narrative in the moment. Um, and with, uh, role-playing games are really just very sophisticated and complex improv forms. Um, you know, like if you were to go to second city and hear them break down some of their forms, you, you might go, Oh, that's a very simplistic role-playing game because it is, uh, yeah. These are two interrelated things. Um, and what I learned uh, at Second City and at IO was how to create narrative spontaneously for an audience and with an audience in mind. Um, so the way that I approach actual play is probably different than the way some people uh, do when they're just coming from uh, RPGs. Um, and, and probably the way that I, I approach casual games is, is different too, uh, just because I spent years, uh, training and, and working hard, uh, to create for an audience. Um, so that, that, that really affected the mentality and techniques that I use. Uh, it also frankly affects the cast that I use too, on a lot of my shows, most of the people that we feature on the one shot network are improvisers. Um, so they are really talented and, and funny people that make interesting choices at the table, regardless of which directions the game is pushing them in. And a lot of the time, you know, they, I, I'm working to make the game fit their ideas uh, more than uh, the game is like stringing us all along which leads to really interesting things to listen to. Like, I think it is just a little bit more interesting to listen to people who really know how to drive a narrative and really know how to work together uh, than it is to listen to folks who, who don't uh, have those skills or, or haven't worked on them. I think that one of the most important aspects of improv that can really influence what you're doing at the table is the idea of trust, right? Like, when you are in an improv scene with, uh, with your partner or with multiple people, um, you have to trust that that person is going to, you know, follow whatever structures are in place, but they're going to yes. And with you, right. That, that you can throw something out and they're going to just go with it. And then you'll be there to just go with it too. And, and, and I think that's something that a lot of people in, in a variety of games, um, can learn and, and can create a cool experience at the table is having that sense of trust and safety with the people around you that you are making something together. And, you know, even if I put something into the, oh, my character does this, knowing that I'm not going to be like ridiculed, like, oh, well, that's not the best spell to cast, or that's not the best, you know, move. Actually, you should, you should do this, that, that you will be met with like, okay, cool. And I do this as well. Um, that for me, at, at times when I've been able to play with people who are, are trained in improv, if you will, that's what stood out the most to me is like, okay, there's kind of an inherent safety here where we can build the story without being afraid that somebody's going to go ah, hit the brakes. That's not cool. Right. That really to me breaks down to the idea of RPGs as intimacy. Um, 
you know, we, we tend to think of intimacy purely in like romantic or mm-hmm. familial contexts. Uh, but intimacy is related to any kind of vulnerability. And uh, again, people think of vulnerability as like admitting when you have a problem or weakness. Uh, but vulnerability goes deeper than that. Uh, saying that you like something is also a tremendous act of vulnerability. And a lot of what we do in role-playing, like when we create a character, some of us are taking aspects of ourselves and, and or aspects of, of things that we enjoy and we're focusing them into that character. We, we come out with this product that we show the world and go, this is what I like. This is what I think is cool. And in some cases even, this is what I wish I could be. Mm, and yeah. that is a tremendous act of vulnerability to, to put that out there. It is a heavily intimate thing. And, you know, knowing that you can actually dig deep and really put yourself into what you're doing frees you in a way that like is hard to express in words, knowing that your group is going to embrace and support whatever ideas you bring to the table is actually so freeing and so fantastic it helps you approach these games uh as though they are art um much much easier um so i i think the improv training in a sense really does help with that because we are taught you know from the beginning in improv to embrace the ideas of other people at the table to no matter what or almost no matter what, uh, figure out a way to run with whatever is, is put out there in front of us, uh, to, to embrace it and nurture it and add to it. Um, so I I think that really does affect, uh, what's at the table. Um, there are other ways to get at that. Like, you know, simply being an empathetic human being goes a long way in terms of, you know, creating good atmosphere for, for storytelling and whatnot through role playing. Um, and a lot of people in in your audience, like listening right now, definitely can see hallmarks of that in in their own behavior at the table, whether or not they spent a lot of money and time learning how to do improv. Um, improv just sort of systematizes it, um, breaks it down and goes, okay, not only are we doing these things and supporting each other and embracing each other's ideas, but also there's a bunch of other people out there watching as well. Yeah. It, it, it makes it different, but you know, there are a lot of pathways and avenues that you can uh, arrive at similar techniques or similar effects, you know, of the McElroy brothers, Griffin is the only one that I know who has like done any kind of improv. I, I, mm-hmm. I would wager that Travis, uh, and, and Justin have a little experience, but like Griffin, at least I know went to second city for a little bit. Um, they really like improvise really well together, whether they are doing that in a role-playing context or they're just doing that on, on one of their other shows. Um, that really just comes from a familiarity and a thing that like, well, that family probably had a lot of people jockeying for attention at the dinner table and making each other laugh. and that is another way to arrive at a similar technique of, oh, I will support and uh, help forward the ideas that I am hearing because it helps us create together 
in a more effective and more fun way. Uh, so yeah, I don't think improv is a necessary thing like that you have to do. Uh, but I definitely think it helps and I definitely think it provides you with a different angle. Yeah. Like, like you said, to develop that intimacy, um, that, that really kind of fosters the art that you're creating. Absolutely. Let's take a real quick second here to give a quick shout out to one of my other sponsors. Uh, you guys know that I love to talk about them because they are a friend, not just of the show, but of myself. I want to shout out Talon and Claw, who just make some awesome, fantastic handmade wooden dice accessories for your D&D tabletop, whatever games you might be playing. These beautiful custom DM screens, just awesome, awesome stuff. And at the time this episode comes out, you should be able to go and access their Whiskey Barrel Dice Vault Kickstarter which I'm very excited about because I like dice. I like dice vaults. I like whiskey and I like things made out of wood. So it's kind of a amalgamation of, of all the things I love. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash whiskey vault to check out their Kickstarter and support the work they're doing. Very, very cool stuff. These things are, are just beautiful vaults. You'll have to go see the pictures to really appreciate them. But Talon and Claw, I love working with them. And if you buy from their normal shop, talonandclaw.etsy.com, you can use the show code Roll Persuasion there as well and save 10% on your orders and they'll continue to support the show and we'll continue bringing you great content each and every week. So Talon and Claw, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. So James, a couple more questions with you. Um, don't want to keep you too long, but I, I do have some things I want to run by you. What are your opinions on the state of podcasting? And, and that's kind of a nebulous question. But obviously we're at a point where um, it seems like everyone and their mom has a podcast. It's become a huge thing in the celebrity world of, of big name celebrities having podcasts. But in many ways, it seems like the industry is still very much in its infancy. And so as somebody who's been doing this since the time when you were paying 700 bucks a month to host your show, what is kind of your view on podcasting as an industry? Um, I mean, gosh, that, that's a very big question to answer. I, I will say we're in a really unique time for podcasting as folks, we're one of the only legal forms of entertainment out there right now. Right. Hollywood is shut down. Uh, they're not doing sports anymore. We just took a whole pass on sports for a right. year. Uh, it's completely wild. Uh, yeah. so Podcasting uh, is one of the few things where like you don't really need a lot of production value in order to make it. You just need somebody to have a microphone and access to the internet. And really that's all it takes to make most podcasts. Uh, so I, I, I think because we're in this time, like I think a lot of people are going to inevitably gravitate towards more like new media content, which is, you know, like YouTube, Twitch, and podcasts. Uh, there, I, I had this conversation with, uh, people like that. I know who work in Hollywood now where I go, it, it, we're in a really funny thing where we kind of circled all the way back around to radio and live television. Right. Those are the new exciting things. The things that we've been doing since like the twenties and like the, the forties, like, yeah, live TV, radio, that is Twitch and podcasting. Like those are the most exciting and most practical things yeah. in the time of this pandemic right now. Uh, I, I like 
again, there's so much to project for podcasting. I think as long as people do still have the individual access to put their ideas out there, I, I think podcasts will continue to be a kind of indie controlled and exciting environment. I do think there is the potential for Hollywood to figure out podcasting in some way. They haven't done it. Um, like I think a lot of the celebrity driven shows, uh, are not done with the same heart. Like th there is a reason that people are not listening to, you know, shows with, I, I, I can't even think of a celebrity show right now. That's how little they mean to me. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're not listening to like Alec Baldwin's podcast with the same, right. uh, love and attention that they'll listen to like a, a McElroy show or like a, my favorite murder or the cryptid keeper, because those shows all have a lot of personality that's really driven by the hosts. And unsurprisingly with me, as I write about it often, it breaks down to a form of intimacy too. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what we're trying to do through celebrity is put a barrier in between people to say this person is better than you or different than you. And a lot of podcasts are driven by the parasocial relationship of bringing the audience closer, um, where, you know, you'll, you'll listen to one of your favorite podcasts and you'll think, gosh, if I met these people in real life, we could have a conversation like old friends because our tastes are so similar because I understand them so well. Uh, and that is a thing that is hard to fake. I think it is a thing that you can do intentionally, but at the end of the day, you can't really fake it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, there's not much more that I can project about podcasts. I think as long as there's an internet, podcasts will continue to exist. I think audio has proven itself uh, to be a worthwhile entertainment medium. And because there are no executive producers that want to push forward a piece of technology, uh, we're not going to reach a point where we go, well, audio's had it. We're done with that. It's boring now. We're not doing it anymore. I, I, I think podcasts are just going to continue to exist. It's kind of an interesting, you know, double-edged sword, right? Like, like there is the, the independence, like anyone can put a show out. You just, you know, add, you don't even have to add it to iTunes. You can, you can independently host it and do that if that's how you want to do it. So there is that freedom of anyone being able to make their own content on the flip side of that. Like what you struggle with, I think especially new shows is that you don't have what, you know, like TV networks have traditionally offered distribution and awareness and marketing and all of that. And so, and, and, and so there are struggles that come hand in hand with the benefits of the state of podcasting, right? Yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, uh, there it's hard to get money for this. Uh, and podcasting takes time. Uh, and you know, a lot of people have this view of art, which I don't think is entirely healthy where they go, well, art is something that you, you got to do just for personal fulfillment. You know, if something takes time because we live in this bad capitalist society that we have, like, if you just do things only for yourself, you're also taking food out of your mouth. Uh, so yes, art is good and art should be personally fulfilling, but also if you're an artist and that is like your primary thing, 
you do need that money somewhere uh, because you need money to live. So I I would love to see uh, ways for people to be able to financially support themselves more effectively through podcasts uh, without having to do various deals with the devil and whatnot. And there are definitely some good methods out there right now. Um, uh, and I would like to see, you know, new, new and fun ideas evolve out of podcasting because, uh, that's one of the things that, uh, makes this medium so great and fun. Yeah, absolutely. What are some, uh, what are some shows that you enjoy listening to currently? Um, gosh, or that you think up. just are like, yeah, as I was say, pull your app out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I do listen to a lot of shows in the one shot network. We decided to support, uh, and work with those shows because I like a lot of them. Uh, so the system mastery brand of podcasts, like pretty much everything they uh, put out, I, uh, listen to system mastery started as a review show for RPG books where they would review very old out of print RPGs. Uh, so a lot of them are just, uh, trash fires. Like they're just hot messes of heartbreakers. And it's really wild to know that these games even exist, uh, let alone that they got bound into books. Um, it's so much fun listening to Jeff and John talk about those and their uh, the other various conversations they have. Uh, I am really enjoying like just, you know, straight up comedy shows. So I listen to my brother, my brother and me and, mm-hmm. uh, the tripod, which is uh, put out by the try guys. Um, but in terms of, uh, fiction and whatnot, uh, one of my favorite shows right now is called the Magnus archives. It is yes, a horror yeah. podcast. Uh, that's really, it's having a big moment right now. They're in the middle of their final season. Um, but it is the best horror, anything that I have experienced. Uh, there uh, every week they put out an episode, uh, that is a new cosmic horror story. Uh, the framework being that, there is a place called the Magnus Institute that reviews uh, people's testimony about paranormal experiences. So they read one of these testimonies every week, and, and that's the horror story. And eventually it comes together in a really cool meta narrative that really sticks the landing in a, in a fun and fulfilling way. Uh, so I highly recommend that. It from the beginning, it is such a good show, and it only gets better throughout its run. Uh, I, I cannot um, recommend the Magnus Archives enough. That that's put together by a group called the Rusty Quill. They also do gaming shows. Um, love them. Uh, I in terms of games, I listen to the Adventure Zone. I listen to uh, gosh, what's what's one that I've been doing recently. I'm, I'm, some of my shows have have sadly pod faded recently, so I'm trying to come up with things that are active so people can support things that are active. Sure. Uh, I guess I also listen to the Pirate History podcast because of uh, the work that I do on campaign. Like it's always fun to pull more pirate stuff in there, and I listen to the Cryptid Keeper podcast, uh, which is run by my friends uh, Alex and Addison, and they just. Uh, review a different cryptid or, uh, like folkloric monster, uh, every week. It's a lot of fun. Like it's so funny and charming. And 
I just love listening to it. It provides me a lot of comfort in these trying times. But really, the best show to listen to is the Campaign Skyjacks podcast uh, hosted by James D'Amato. Plug time. Yeah. Uh, Please, please listen to that show. We put a lot of work into it, uh, and we're very proud of of what we've done. Well, awesome. Well, now would be a time for me to tell people that we will, uh, after the show, when you hear the music, if you're a Patreon backer, stick around, because after that, we're going to be entering the zone of truth where we will chat about whatever the heck we come up with which will probably be, uh, we met, you mentioned you've got some books you've been reading lately. I would also love to hear some of your favorite game systems that you've run um, in your one-shot time. So that segment is brought to us by my friends at Smuggler's Coffee, store.smugglerscoffee.com. Get delicious coffee beans, barrel-aged, and whiskey barrels and bourbon barrels. And uh, are you sensing a theme in my sponsors? They, they have to do with dice and alcohol. <laughs> We're very specific here. Um, but just delicious coffee, uh, Dave, actually in Chicago, uh, just outside of Chicago, is brewing up all this delicious coffee in his barrel room right up there. And it is, uh, it's fantastic. So store.smugglerscoffee.com, grab a bag of tomb of caffeination. It's my favorite or slap shot is another one. I'm a, I'm a big fan of So make sure you check them out. In fact, speaking of talent and claw earlier, they are doing a special limited run of coffee beans with talent and claws, barrel, whiskey, barrel, dice vault, Kickstarter. So make sure you check all that out. So you can support both of these small creators in the community and they support our show specifically the zone of truth segment which you can get access to by supporting the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. But before we go out, I would love for you, James, to share. Obviously, people can check you out at the One Shot RPG, but where can they find everything that you have going on? Check out your content. Check out your network's content. How can they find you? So the best place to find our shows is to go to oneshotpodcast.com. There you can find the full list of programs that we offer on the One Shot Network. Uh, If you want to listen to one of my shows, either One Shot or Campaign, uh, or Campaign Skyjacks as it's called now, uh, you can go to your favorite podcast app and just search for One Shot, Campaign Skyjacks, or James D'Amato. That will pull us up. Uh, if you want to find my books, uh, they are sold anywhere books are sold, which right now is exclusively online retailers in the plague times, baby. Uh, but when we're out of those times, uh, whatever brick and mortar you like to buy your books from, uh, Hey, in this time, it's actually really important to support your local brick and mortar bookstores. Uh, so If you want to read either of my books, please call them up uh, and ask for James D'Amato and the Ultimate RPG Backstory Guide or the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide or coming soon, the Ultimate Micro RPG Book. Um, You can get those uh, from your friendly local brick and mortar. I know they will appreciate it if you reach out to do that. If you'd like to talk to me and just ask me questions directly, the best place is on Twitter. You can find me at OneShotRPG. I am always happy to talk to people there. Um, Those are the things that I can talk about right now. But if you watch those uh, Twitter feeds, you'll be able to get more news as it comes. It's always exciting when people have stuff they can't talk about. It makes it sound like we've got some real exclusive info that we just can't share. We'll put links to everything down in the show notes. So make sure you guys check those out so you can see what James is doing and what the network is doing. And as I said, we will continue chatting with him in just a few minutes for our Patreon backers. Um, dude, it's been awesome. Thanks for thanks for joining me and for chatting games and everything you got going on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is a blast. Very cool. Well, we'll stick around and we'll keep talking here in a few minutes. 
But as always, make sure that you are subscribing to the show, supporting us with your listens and your downloads. If you want to interact with us, you can check us out, Roll Persuasion, on Twitter and Instagram. Disclaimer, far more active on Twitter. So if you want to get in touch with me, I always like responding to people. Shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com. Glad to talk with you. Make sure that you guys are staying safe in this, the, uh, the plague times, as we said. Just a lot of weirdness. And if you're listening to this in the future and you don't know what we're talking about, that's awesome. I'm really glad because that means everything's good and everything's been taken care of. And our history that means teachers you have a are very doing... young audience too in the future. <laughs> well, see, I like to assume that this podcast will last for hundreds and hundreds of years and be a, a time capsule really for our generation. That's the idea. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, make sure that you are enjoying your games. <laughs> <laughs>